Sir, I appreciate your comments. However, <laughs> however, I drink my whiskey. Come on. Not my style, sir. <laughs> whiskey, whiskey. The singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lowering the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. We sort of drank our way through Manhattan and Brooklyn on Saturday, and we ended up at this liquor store in Soho. Or like, no, it wasn't Soho. It was like the Lower East Side. I can't remember. I was drunk. But... We were there and I go in and I was like, okay, let me just take a look and see what's going on here. So I see a bottle of like Elmer T. Lee and I was like, yes, this is awesome. How much is that bottle? And he's like, $325. I was like, ha, Fuck right ha, 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 I like laughed in his face and I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, like that's how much we're charging for it because like you can't find it anywhere and like. In order for us to get this bottle, you know, we also we had to buy, you know, two thousand dollars in stock just to be a, a, like able to be allocated these whatever bottles. And so then I see the cured oak, the E. H. Taylor cured uh-huh. oak, like in behind like six other bottles, but like I can see it. And I was like, that one, what's that one? Can I see that one? And so like a guy gets up on a ladder to go and retrieve it. And I was like, okay, bring it down. What's it? Well, how much are you selling this one for? And he's like, a thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. I gotta. I'm gonna cry. So it was a really cool store that had a lot of really like hard to find bourbon. So there was the regular Elmer T. Lee. They also had the um, the commemorative edition, uh, which is the one that was three twenty five. And then the regular Elmer they were selling for like two seventy five. And then they, they had like the cured oak and all this stuff. So and then they had like a bunch of Japanese whiskey, which I didn't even get into. I was just like, I have to leave this store. I have to get out. Didn't you say Weller was also incredibly expensive? Weller 12? I didn't see Weller 12 there at all. Oh, sorry. I can't remember the rest of the text. I didn't okay. see it there at all. And then like I was talking to a girl at a different liquor store and she's like, we just can't keep bourbon in stock. Like we just cannot keep it in stock. So anyways, that's my big New York story. I didn't see anybody famous. I just ate and drank. I didn't buy anything. I bought one small bottle of Kings County Distillery cast strength bourbon, like a. But other than that, we just sort of like I got to hang out with my friend, which was like the best part. And you went to Death Co. Yeah, I went to Death and Co. Yeah, yeah. Death and Co. Yeah, yeah. Death and Co. It was awesome. Cocktails. Yeah. Oh my god, great book! I love their book. Fuck, such it's so a good. good book. Such good cocktails. I could have spent all night there. Um, but I was sort of like, we just sort of ended up skipping around a little bit. I, and that was sort of the, I wanted to go to about four different places, but we sort of never really made it. But since New York is not actually that far, I could probably, you know, next time. But anyways, Death & Co. Go. It's so cool. So what, so what do you guys think of the new theme song? We have a theme song. Yeah. Now, I always have trouble counting when I drink whiskey. So I find that very helpful in the song. Uh, any other comments? I find it hilarious how whiskey is interpreted on the east coast compared to here like my sister lives in newfoundland and i spent like almost 10 years in the east coast in school and like anywhere else in north america whiskey is sort of connoted with this idea of sitting in a wingback chair quietly in front of a hearth <laughs> and like taking the glass and just throwing it into the fireplace and storming off to bed after something ridiculous has happened it's like a full rosebud scene sort of thing but in the east coast it's like we are going to get trashed whiskey it's like 
full stop. Like, just a mess. We were going to ruin ourselves whiskey. Yeah. And just, like, they don't associate with each other. No one on the East Coast sits in a wingback chair and calmly has two ounces of scotch. Just... <laughs> I don't think that's ever No, I don't happened. think well. I have a friend, like one of my my girlfriends is is from Newfoundland and she's tiny. Like she's this tiny little thing. And we had this discussion the other day about like drinking. And she was like, No, when I go to drink, I don't have one. She's like, We don't do that in St. John's. You don't just go for a drink. You go out to drink. Like that's the whole point. And I was like, Man, I grew up in the wrong area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, like on the East Coast. Like in my liquor cabinet, I would have drinking scotch and then good scotch. <laughs> like drinking scotch was like, it was a forty. It was probably J and B. It was not very good, but it was drinking scotch. And then like I'd have nice scotch, which I would never drink because I'd never actually be you know drinking good scotch. I'd just be drinking. Yeah, I, I only I spent a couple of weeks in the East Coast, and I remember everybody being so damn friendly. And then at the bars, people would get so drunk, and by when it was last call, people just started breaking their glasses on the floor. And I and I thought people were getting mad at each other. There was going to be a fight, but no, that's 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 just how it happens. You just break your glass. That's it. Yeah, that's what you do. Um, so, but we got a new song because we actually have a license for this one, unlike the previous one, which we tried getting enough license for. I tried. I sent yeah. emails. Yeah, yeah. What else do you do? I don't know. We kind of yeah, assumed is... they were going to give us one, but they didn't. So, but this, but, uh, but, but now Alan we have Doyle. permission. Yes, Alan Doyle. <laughs> awesome album. Um, From the East Coast. Uh, that hence the East Coast stories. The East Coast of Canada is um, Alan Doyle big in the U.S. I don't even know. Yeah, he's yeah. I. Uh, I don't know. I'm not from the States. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, he's been doing like a North American tour uh, for the last couple of months. And from what I've seen online and stuff like that, like, it looks like it went awesomely, awesomely well. So, yeah. And he loves um, whiskey. He's uh... yeah. There he's we go. a whiskey drinker. Obviously, there's a lot. There's a lot of like whiskey, you know, sort of songs. And uh, he's got a few of them himself. He's actually going to be performing at the X uh august uh so and i'll be there and it'll be fun and this song will come on and i'm sure we'll have a really good dance excellent excellent uh there will, will be a couple of listeners that are gonna be like i hate change the new song is terrible ah but no it's a great like, great you know uh change it, it happens you gotta get over it yeah yeah um no but really really happy with the song it i always i wanted a song that was a little more pumped and, and i got it so i'm happy yeah you did yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I can like just imagine Mark's wandering around his apartment, like dancing every time he listens to our little podcast. <laughs> that was Michael. I like the idea of like a Mark wish book. It's like I wish I had a more. <laughs> hey, I wonder what else is in that? Right, he's already checked that one off, and I actually might be making a cameo in the music video for this song. So like what? it all ties together what? eventually. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. Well, it's not really. I'm mortified beyond belief. I'll never watch it, but. I'll send it to you guys, and you can tell me if I'm in it or not. I, I, will, I won't be able to see it. Because like, if I see my face, I'll just want to die. I'll just crawl under this desk, and you'll never see me again. Because, well, okay, so there's another. So I went to a great big sea show a couple years ago with my friend, and my other friend was in the audience, like many rows behind me, and I didn't realize it. And I got this, like, text message from her that was, like, the most horrifying text message ever. She said... I just saw you on the big screen. You are so happy right now. I've never seen you so happy. Aww. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, my big face was, like, dancing all over the Molson Amphitheater. And I was like, well, I'm leaving this concert. I'm done. I can't. 
I'm mortified. That that's awesome. That <laughs> that's mortified. awesome. Anyways. Well, you know, speaking of the uh, Mark Bylock uh, wish list book, um, how did you? Yeah. Um, having you both on at the same time was yeah. definitely on my wish list. So <laughs> I'm glad to have you both on at the same time because it didn't work out last time. Jamie was sick. And, I know. Yeah. Sorry about that. No. Well, and then the next time I was sick with work. So. <laughs> That's right. So we did it. We, we made it happen. happen. Apparently Mondays so in the middle of the day is just the, the best way. To Absolutely. Um, so today what we're going to do. So a couple of weeks ago we talked about a whiskey tasting I was going to do that was going to be very kind of well, – I'll take it even a step back. A bunch of episodes ago, we talked about how to run a whiskey tasting, and we set up a bunch of rules. You know, don't try to trick your audience. Don't give people the same glass and laugh at them because they think it's different, and, and, and give a variety of flavors and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I wanted to do a whiskey tasting that really broke. I thought I was going to only break most of those rules. I think I ended up breaking every single rule on that podcast, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and... So Jamie and Glenn were both there along with uh, uh, four or five other folks, uh, four or five other whiskey drinkers. And we were all, uh, and I was leading the blind tasting and we wanted to go through, because I think we learned a lot. I learned a lot. Actually, I, I mostly did this because I was, had some suspicions and I wanted to test them on several different palettes and see how people responded to it. I learned a lot. I was really nervous about this tasting, to be completely honest, because I was like, oh man, what if I have an opinion about something and like he's gone and like like totally pulled the wool over my eyes and I out myself as like a bourbon neophyte or like, yeah. But it actually turned out really great. It was a, such a fun night. It was, it was. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll run around one uh, each round at a time and we'll talk about it. We also have drinking whiskey we're drinking. So uh, let's introduce those really fast so we can get to the main uh, topic. Uh, Glenn, what are you drinking? I am drinking absolutely nothing right now. <laughs> so... I want you two to enjoy your. your <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, Glenn? Yeah. One of the two of you needs to drink for two. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Mark, well, I'll leave that one to you. Got... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Glenn's like I've got billable hours after this podcast. I still have to be sober. Yeah, adulting. Yeah, whatever. Ugh. Ew. Uh, but that that tasting evening, just to bring us back to it, was amazing. One of the things, so Jamie, like I was with you when I first went to Mark's for like the first in-depth tasting that I had with him at his place, maybe just after the book came out, uh, I felt the same way and then I got there and it's this really sort of like warm environment that he creates. And I think that that's one of the rules that we didn't break in that tasting was this idea of uh having like a real warm and collegial like space to talk because it was a riot it was great everyone was open varying levels of sort of interest in bourbon but generally pretty tuned in or dialed in and yeah that was an an amazing evening yeah i agree and and it was very um everyone's so nice that was there and even if you said something that was ridiculous like mike was like sure yeah absolutely (laughs) Okay, good. Somebody will just agree <laughs> with you no matter what nonsense you spew. And great. That's what I want. Yeah. And, and it was, uh, we kind of had a lot of agreement, oddly enough. I, it was interesting because everybody's palates were a little bit different. Experiences were different. You know, we had uh, Mike DeCarl, that's primarily a wine drinker. Jen, that's a casual whiskey drinker. Uh, you know, like everybody had a slightly different palate, which is what I wanted. I wanted to test out how different palates respond to um these interesting so we'll we'll introduce round one why don't we start there is that 
Well, yeah. Sorry, I've got you guys totally off topic, though. We need to talk about uh, what you are drinking. Well, yeah, Mark, what are you drinking? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what are the two whiskeys that you're tasting, Mark? <laughs> so, well, actually, I did pour myself, too, so this is perfect. Uh, <laughs> I'm, like, not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one I poured myself was a Danfield's uh, 21. It's a Canadian whiskey, 21 years old. Um, it's very right. It's a, it's a very kind of... Uh, Jamie, you'll like this because it's uh, got, like, a lot of woody forward oaky thin bits to it it's very much kind of like a little bit of like butterscotch but it's 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 such a but it kind of like dies off really quickly it's a very soft uh light finish and um the other one i'm primarily drinking is uh teeling whiskey small batch uh it's uh it's a whiskey made in dublin and it is aged probably in used american oak and then finished in rum casks so it's got a nice little bit of sweetness it's a very light color so it's not a very old whiskey um, but it's got a very nice sort of sweetness, very kind of simpler, easier to drink sort of whiskey. That's uh, that's quite nice. I'm uh, I'm uh, drinking Weller Twelve. We're all familiar with it. Twelve years weeded bourbon. Um, it's one of my faves. I can just pull it off the shelf and drink it no matter what. And it's so. It's funny. I I I got a, a different bourbon that small batch Kings County, um, and I had it last night and. I love this the mouthfeel of this Weller and uh, and drinking that sort of other one really confirmed that mouthfeel and that sort of like oiliness is more important to me than I thought. So in the last 24 hours, I learned something brand new about my whiskey drinking preferences. There you go. Yeah, I, I got Glenn's bottle of Weller at my place right now, and I'm Glenn. You need to get it back soon because yeah, I keep you need to run over it. there. I like ran over like sweating <laughs> to pick up my oh. Taylor Barrel Proof because I was like, man, I don't know. It's tempting. How it's long will it, Mark, survive? Yeah, so Mark's not made a stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't leave that at, at my place because I would have just run through that so fast. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. So weak-willed too when it comes to that particular thing. Like that bottle is insane. Bottle is it's insane. so different than everything else. I know. I know. So with the Kings County, Jamie, is that weeded as well? No, no, it's um, it's not. It's a cat. I got the cast strength one as usual, and I found that it sort of has a like no finish, um, not a very strong middle or end to it. It's not my f- most favorite. Uh, I found it to be a bit uh, on the dry side. Yeah, I, I think that you're, you're right. With the weeded bourbon, the you get such the mouth feels great because you get those like thicker. It just kind of like it's a nicer mouthfeel. Um, what do you guys think of? Uh, like those bitter notes in whiskey because the teeling has like these like touches of bitter and I hear some people like bitter I know one of the you know reasons why people started drinking going back to weeded uh, bourbons was to get rid of the 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 little bit of bitterness uh do you guys get bitter notes on a lot of bourbons because I tend to like this teeling whiskey I'm just getting a little bit of bitterness I'm not actually enjoying it that much for that reason it's it's slight but it's there I don't mind the bitter I don't mind the bitter yeah yeah I think I mean, this era of microbrew and beer that we have has completely altered my definition of what is, in fact, bitter. True. I mean, yeah. That's a good point. The uh, IBUs that they're bringing along in, in IPA beers now are at a point where, uh, like, I think once you exceed so maybe 130 uh, IBUs, international bitterness units, maybe? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I love how they're international. Humans can't. I know, right? They're well, they're well they're traveling like, bitters, yeah. That's right. I. Uh, you, you can't taste the difference of how bitter something is. And so the jump from like 20 to 30 is massive, but the jump from 130 to 200 is, is negligible. Mm-hmm. And the amount of beers that I'm drinking uh, that are like in the top end of that spectrum are crazy. So 
uh, definitely accustomed to the mm-hmm. bitterness and don't find it to be a problem. For me, the, the thing that I get freaked out about is the sourness uh, that I come across in high corn whiskeys occasionally. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah, a I, really I, good point. Yeah, I just, just touch on the, the bitterness. I really enjoy bitter beers. I have like I love as yeah, me too. bitter as you can get. Um, I don't know. Whiskey, I find it just kind of ruins it in a bad way a little bit. It's just, you'll kind of like it kind of you'll get to the like dark chocolate notes. You want the dark chocolate. It's a little bit of bitter, but you got the sweetness and thickness. You want to get there. But when that dark chocolate note becomes more bitter, ee, then I'm like, ah, now I'm eating like baking chocolate. And maybe I'm not as happy with that. I find that it can happen really easily to rise. Like that bitter can get off the chain sometimes when you're rise. Like, I don't know. There, there's some rise that I've had that is just like, oh no, they, it went over and above. Yeah. What I can, what I like. Kind of explains the the idea of a mash bill too, right? Because I mean, too much, too much uh, of that wheat that we see in high weeded bourbons, it can get a little cloying. Like the honey or honeysuckle notes just get like so sweet. Um, and to throw more rye in there and give it a little bitterness, it balances things out. It's almost like a like a plate that a chef can put together. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. I, mm-hmm. I agree. All right. We have, so we should probably talk about that night. All right. The parts that we remember. Uh, that night. That, <laughs> that night. night. Well, I know, I know Glenn was taking notes. He had a notebook open and he was like writing notes down. Um, so a lot of, we'll kind of, each round will kind of demonstrate where we were going with the round with that night. So the first round that we did, um, so these were all blind tastings. I, I, I poured them, but everybody else was drinking blind. Um, I gave no indications of what was being poured other than, um, you know, that other than I was going to be breaking a lot of the rules. So I wasn't, you know, I, I just basically said, you know, this is going to be kind of a mystery fun thing, and that's, that was the whole goal. Um, so the first round uh, were kind of the exact same drinks, but not really. I happened to have uh, two bottles of Eagle 10. Uh, one of them was the original Eagle 10 from a couple of years back. That was the single barrel marked Eagle 10-year-old single barrel. And the other bottle was uh, a newer Eagle 10, which no longer says single barrel on it. And also no longer has the H statement on the front. It has the H statement on the back, which... In my mind, tells me they're already trying to shift that brand to being like, "Hey, we might not necessarily be aging this for ten years in the future." Um, so they're no longer doing it as a single barrel; they're doing it, I guess, in the small batch or or what have you. They don't really say on the bottle officially. And then, um, and like I said, it is still aged ten years, but it's kind of hidden in the back. So there are two different pours. I should say that the uh, single barrel original Eagle Ten uh, kind of got lost in my cabinet, so it was like. You know, if only about four four fifths. It was four fifths empty essentially, and I, I had it in there for a while. I just noticed, oh, there's there's more whiskey here. Damn, I didn't even see this. Um, so it was kind of sticking around for a little while. So, um, guys, what did, what did you guys think of that round? What what were the comments? What were the feedback? So in my notes, uh, the one whiskey was was described as thin and very mild. Uh, another was described as rich, it had strong mouthfeel or pleasant mouthfeel, um, had real vanilla spice and a long finish. And, uh, and the new one was the one that had those attributes. The old one was washed out. And I'm not sure if it's a change in what Eagle Rare is today versus when it came out, or if like your bottle that you had lost in your liquor cabinet was like at the end of the school year when you take down the art that was put on your classroom wall in September and you see how bright the construction paper is when it was new. Because wow. I think that's what we experienced. Good like analogy. that new like I like that. That brightness was was very 
very much present in the in the new stuff. In the old stuff, it was washed out. Uh, I seem to remember agreeing with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find my notes on my phone. It's gone. Oh no. Um, but yeah, I, 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 what happened at the end of it, Mark? Did we? What was the consensus? I think generally people thought it was, they, they both thought generally they were both good bourbons. I think everybody liked the newer one more. Um, and again, we don't know whether that's because that my old Eagle, t- I don't even know how long that ball's been in my liquor cabinet. could have been, you know, yeah, could have been there for three years for all I know. Um, so we don't know how old that whiskey bottle is. Um, and I, I agree with Glenn. I think a lot of the comments were like, oh, it seems a little lesser, not quite there. But I, I think, you know, I think generally pretty good feedback on both. But I think everybody liked the newer uh, Eagle 10 more so, which isn't to say that it's better than the old one, but it certainly was fresher and newer, the bottle. Uh, you know, the, 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 and we will go on in this uh, round three, how whiskey will change over time, depending on how much oxygen is exposed to th- over time. So yeah, I think, I think Glenn nailed it. I think that, that that's about right. Um, and I will interject for one moment about Eagle Rare. When I was at that crazy liquor store in New York city, the guy said, do you have Eagle Rare at home? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, don't open it because it's the next one that's going to be hard to find. So if you have bottles of the 10 year old, he's like, they're like, basically he was like, don't open any of your like stock up on Eagle Rare and don't open any of it. And I was like, I don't buy whiskey to not open it, sir. But I appreciate your (laughs) I appreciate sir. I appreciate your comments. However, (laughs) however, I drink my whiskey. Come on. Not my style, sir. (laughs) Like, yeah, he was, but I was drunk. So like, I was really, I was ready to scrap. I was like, I was ready to take him on for that thousand dollar bottle of cured oak. Like I was, I had a lot of opinions about what was going on in his shop. And my friend was like, oh boy, you're a firecracker right now. Cute. Cute. So something you brought up, Jamie, with the Eagle Rare, when we were drinking it is they, you indicated that Buffalo Trace says they've changed bottling lines at some point with Eagle yeah, Rare. That was and their, so it like, might not be the same thing. Yeah, that, we were that was their like that was their go to line for taking the single barrel off of the uh, neck of the bottle is that they couldn't they had changed bottling lines and they could no longer guarantee with this however this new bottling line worked that it was only one single barrel coming down the line at once or it didn't intermingle at some point in the new sort of um the way it was sort of being bottled so that was their like official marketing pr sort of line but nobody really bought it they just said well if you go online like basically people are like that's bull um and we know you just can't you just don't have enough that you can't you can't afford to do a single barrel anymore you have to um, sort of, yeah, change with the the you know bourbon shortage and whatever's happening. So, but that was their marketing. I remember never to make that excuse ever in real life. Apparently, no one buys it. <laughs> it's true. Oh, Glenn, man, you really mailed it in today. Ah, oh, change bottling lines, guys. I'm sorry, my bad. That's bullshit, and you know it. Just lazy. You slept in. <laughs> Whiskey, like bur- especially lines. like old like school bourbon drinkers from kentucky they call bullshit on everything someone's like we you know we changed the you know we've changed the proof by one percent they're like they just go nuts like they just go nuts like just but anyways 
they're they've all got like a healthy bit of cynical sort of marketing PR like they they just they they know it when they hear it. Yeah, but Glenn, I think when we were at Buffalo Trace and we we asked them about it, I don't think they they gave us any sob story about bottling lines. I think they just said, "Yeah, we just don't have enough barrels to do them as a single barrel anymore." So That's we're good. We're, we're just, we needed to change it up. But I think the fact that the H statement moved to the back is a big deal. I think that, that, that to me says they're, they're, they're going to, that's going to disappear. They're in phase two of a three-phase marketing yeah, plan. Yeah, exactly. The, exactly. Next, the next like release will just have, will just quietly go away, that 10-year-old age statement. Actually, yeah. nothing will go away quietly. Somebody will make a big fuss about it. I love that Kentucky is just filled with people who act like the internet. Just like, Pixar didn't happen, Buffalo Trace. Show me the new bottling line. <laughs> oh, but to be fair, I think, that, I think the Eagle 10 tastes as good as it always has. I, I really, um, you know, just going back my on memory, um, which, you know, I take a lot of no- notes and I, and I do, like, I know Eagle 10 pretty well just because it's always, usually, well, it's almost always in my uh, whiskey cabinet. Um, I don't think it's gotten worse. I don't think it's, I think it's, it's, maybe changed a little but it's not dramatically different from where it was um and i can't say if it's better or worse than where it was but i still think it's a it's a really good drink for you know uh from buffalo trace i agree i agree i remember one of those sort of like now that i'm trying to backtrack on my forgetfulness of the night but um i remember feeling like one of those uh of the two eagle rayos just sort of like disappeared a little bit like like yeah yeah, and they were different on the nose too. I have to say, uh, they, they were both different mm-hmm. on the nose. The, the Eagle Ten single barrel and the new one uh, were different on the. They just they they all were like, if you were like if you were guessing, you would guess like, oh, these are both from the same distillery, but they're different bottlings. And and the the newer one was definitely more intense. Uh, Glenn's analogy was perfect. That that cardboard just yeah, it's got enough sun. It's just kind of it's faded from where it was. Um, but that was likely, but that's probably likely to do the bottle and it being, you know, somewhere in the back of my whiskey cabinet. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, let's do, uh, let's cover round two. Cause I think round two was interesting because it, it had some of my two favorite whiskeys of the night. Um, round two, again, blind tasting. Um, everybody was handed two glasses. Uh, both whiskeys were 12 years old. Both whiskeys were weeded bourbons. Um, I don't know if anybody guessed that. I don't recall. No. Uh, no. 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 No one said anything about them being weeded. But I think Jamie, you said after doing that tasting, you will definitely know. And I think now you is well. What you said today too was like you will know a weeded bourbon from this point forward. It's 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 there. That, will that, I? I think so. Did I, say I think that? so. You did. You did. You did. Whoa. That 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 well. What you were describing about the Weller Twelve, right? That kind of that different mouthfeel that you yeah. like, you enjoy. Um, that's really what you get. So we had the. Uh, Van Winkle, 12-year-old, versus the W.L. Weller, uh, 12-year-old. Uh, both 12-year-old, both weeded bourbons, both from the same distillery. Uh, Weller 12 is is ineffectually known as the Pappy Reject. It didn't quite make it to Van Winkle 12, so we bought it as Weller, which I think is, is BS. I think, uh, let's face it, uh, most of the that mash bill goes to Weller 12, and then you got like 1% that goes to Van Winkle or something like that. Um, it's just a slightly different profile. Um, I'll, I'll give you my feedback first because you know I I knew what I was pouring, but I I, I like both of these whiskeys. Um, I think the uh, uh, Van Winkle Twelve gives you more of those cherry sweetness, whereas the Weller uh, is a little less. A little gives you less like that kind of cherry sweetness, but gives you just a beautiful whiskey as we talked about earlier. But I, I like the Weller Twelve. The Weller Twelve really stood out for me at this tasting, um, and. 
it was my my preferred one out of the, these two. I agree. The Weller 12 uh, was also my preferred one. And I, I know this because I actually own both the bottles as well. Um, that Van Winkle 12 has never really done what I want it to do. I, I don't know what it is about it. There's something that's missing for me in that Van Winkle 12. And I knew it at the, when we went to that dinner, this LCBO dinner, this bourbon dinner that they hosted. And um, it, it just never gave me what I wanted from it. From And maybe it's the mouthfeel. I don't know. But I, I always stand behind Weller 12, 100%. There's, I haven't had a bad one yet. I haven't been disappointed. But that Van Winkle 12, just something about it doesn't sit right with me. Maybe I should try some right now. Yeah, you know, the Van Winkle 12 is, I'll, I'll use a, a baseball analogy, it's like that hit that you think is going to be a home run, and then it's just like the guy makes the catch at, at you know, right at the back. He's just like, boom, there, it's an out. Uh, it just, it didn't quite make oh, it. Like, it didn't, doesn't quite yo. make it for me. I don't, I think, personally, I think it's the other way around. I don't think the Van Winkle 12 can make it to be a Weller 12, and it's, and it's just way short to be getting to the 15. This, this whiskey is already on its way down. It's not going to make it to the 15. Um, and uh, Weller 12, I think, is just such a fabulous drink. I do like the uh, Van Winkle 12 from the, the sweetness aspect of it. I like that it gives you a lot of that. It does give you a lot of character. It is a, it is a good whiskey. Uh, but, man, it's just – Jamie, yeah, yeah, I agree. It just doesn't quite do it there for me. It just mm-hmm. doesn't quite get it there. Well, that's super interesting. I think that – so this this tasting I think was the most interesting of the uh, the group that we did that night for a few reasons. I mean the first is uh, Van Winkle is roughly uh, two and a half times the price of Weller and far harder to come by. Um, but the tasting notes on it were uh, were hilarious. So from the group, uh, my big takeaway was that uh, it was almost tea like. It was floral. Uh, it was composed. I thought it was going to be like a an 80 proof, like 40% alcohol sort of thing. Uh, something that came up at the table was this idea of it being like a gateway for bourbon drink or for people who aren't bourbon drinkers to get into bourbon. It was very approachable. Uh, it was, there was not a whole lot of burn to it. It wasn't hot. Uh, whereas the Weller, it was, it was much richer. It was heavy on the vanilla and it was boozy tasting. You could really taste the charcoal and away. It was a little unhinged, like compared to the Rip Van Winkle. Like there was a, a lot of heat, a lot of burn, which is how we drink bourbon now. And so I'm left sitting here thinking that that lot B, that uh, Rip Van Winkle 12, it's as though a vintner came in and tried to make a bourbon because it's well-rounded and it has a reasonable finish and there are no jagged edges. With the Weller, it's, I mean, when we go to shop for bourbon now, like we're looking for essentially the highest proof we can come by. Uh, it's, and, and the Weller offers that, like it's, it's very boozy. It's kind of jagged and disjointed, but it's very pleasurable and it's completely in line with what I understand bourbon tasting like right now. So for me, Riff Van Winkle is like going to a great restaurant that had its peak in like the 1980s and being like, well, this is weird, but I guess it's good. Uh, and then having Weller 12 is like going to a, a very current, like, uh, I don't know, Pincho's joint or wherever, like tacos or whatever, uh, like a current sort of like easy, accessible, loud, uh, hipster run establishment and just be like, yeah, great restaurant, super fun, tasty food, had a couple of drinks, nice night. 
Uh, your analogies are on point, Glenn. Yeah, nailing it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, but it's really interesting because it's like Rip Van Winkle is not a flawed whiskey. Like I think in a way it's more, it's more complex uh, and it's more composed than Weller is. Um, it has a higher proof than Weller does, which is weird because it tastes the, like it's the exact opposite. Um, and it's, uh, I, the table almost unanimously said they would prefer Weller to, uh, to Lot B. Yeah, I, uh, so I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I think, and you know, it definitely, um, you could see why they picked a Van Winkle for the 12, though. It, it did have oakier notes. Like, it, if you were to guess which one spent more time and which one was an older whiskey, you'd probably pick the Van Winkle 12. Um, yeah. But they both say 12. No, I know. I'm just saying they were probably like the, the higher quality, like, warmer barrels that took in a bit of a more oaky note. So it's really hard to tell because they're, they're, they're bottled at different proof levels. So you're always going to get more oaky notes on the higher proof. Um, Assuming it's a decent whiskey. Yeah, I, that's great. Nice, nicely done. Nicely done. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So, I mean, the closing note for me with the, the Rip Van Winkle is that it's unique and original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not fashionable, but it's different. And it should probably be celebrated because it doesn't conform to most of the, the higher-end bourbons that we're coming across and enjoying these days. Nice. What do you think, Jamie? I like that note. Yeah. No, I actually – it's – I really like talking about it like this because I, I didn't think about it. I just sort of sometimes think about it. I like this one better than that one. And like, that's that. But you're right. It has a place. It has a time. It has an evening. It has, you know, its own sort of things that stand out. Um, you're right. It's, it's, I am very quick to sort of push that one aside, but I think I should, I think I should give it a little more credit. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. No. It's your grandmother's bourbon. No, I know. Like it's... <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. That I, yeah. I think that's yeah. fine. I think it's great. I think that uh, I'm perhaps being a little unfair to it sometimes. So, but I, I yeah, I, I, I like what you just said. It it sort of changes my mind a little bit about how to approach it, which is good. Which is a good thing. You know, I think I think uh, both are excellent whiskeys. Uh, Van Winkle only fell short for me only because of the name. Like, if this was like you know anything else, a whiskey, I'd be like, hey, this is great. I think they're both great, but I think the Weller was just for me such a bigger standout and just held its own so wonderfully. Um, and I think pretty much everybody at the table agreed with perhaps the wine drinker at the table. I don't remember. I think Mike was a little uh, was was having more contempla- was contemplating a little bit between the two more so than the rest of us. Which might yeah. make sense, right, Glenn, all, right. The, all the things that you've said. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jamie, what do you make of this? I mean, the internet is convinced that uh, this stuff comes from the same barrels. Like, like Mark said, uh, whatever isn't ripped turns into Weller because reasons. Like, do you think there's anything to that? Because these, for me, tasted very different. Yeah, I, I think that they're looking for a different profile for each of them. I don't, yeah. Because it's weird, right? I mean, you go onto the net and any forum or whatever it's like there are threads that are just like ah, i don't deal with rip van winkle i don't care it's not meaningful weller 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 but like it's not because they prefer it it's because they feel like they're getting rvw at a weller price right i don't know this tasting was totally different than that for me okay i'm not much of a car guy but it's like so let's say you buy a ford mustang it's probably got the same engine as like a really cushy Lincoln has in it, but they're totally two different cars. And one just sort of like bumps along on the road and you've got more power than you need. And you're just sort of in this leather uh, box that's black and 
oddly ostentatious or an airport limo. We're not sure. And then the other is like jagged and rough and uh, and exciting. But at the same time, they're powered by the same thing. I mean, is there room for that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the bourbons are pretty much the same juice. You know, I mean, Stag, like, you, you name a name, it's, it's the same scenario, right? Like Stag is is Buffalo Trace. It's Eagle Rare. It's older. It's higher proof. Um, so I think the variety that can be created by warehousing um, and age is important. I think that's why uh, the Van Winkles, perhaps the younger ones, don't stand out quite as much as the older ones. Because I think that, you know, you get a different ball game with the 15, 20, 23. I think it's a different uh, environment because you're generally not tasting, you know, you're not tasting older wellers. Um, but yeah, in that that younger mash, in that younger younger years, it's uh, it's all about barrel selection and the profile they're going for. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like that Van Winkle Ten. I think would would I don't know if it stand out against the Weller Twelve, but I think the Ten's better than the Twelve. That's on the oh, a hundred percent. That's my favorite of the whole lineup. Like I, I'm a big fan of the old Rip Van Winkle Ten. I think it's great stuff. I mean, I think to to your question, Glenn, I think like. I don't know. It, bourbon's so interesting, and like the the people that drink it and rant about it online sometimes. I shouldn't say rant. That's not very nice. I rant. Oh, they, they rant. Do. Okay. Um, I mean, everything from wild turkey comes from the same mash bill and goes into the warehouse and comes out as a, a different profile. And every like Mark was saying, like the mash bills. There's only two mash bills for Buffalo Trace, and there's one mash bill for all the Buffalo Trace weeded bourbons. I think people get so caught up in this, like, I'm trying to be the guy that doesn't... It's, maybe it's a, a special thing to, like, bourbon drinkers. There's there's something about bourbon drinkers that they're... Not all of them, but there's this, like, low... This thing where you're like, I want the best bourbon for the lowest price, and that's, like, the holy grail, and that's what is valued in bourbon. And I don't know if that's because historically it's been sort of like a cheap drink that's always sort of been plentiful and now something's going on and 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 people are paying thousands of dollars for it and you've got this sort of bourbon purist saying well no bourbon is supposed to be cheap and it's supposed to be amazing and so there's something about claiming that you will not be like fall prey to the marketing machine or like the the machine that's like going bourbon crazy right now making people pay a thousand dollars for one bottle that's like a sense of like deep pride. So, yeah. That's totally true. That's totally true. I mean, you compare it to wine where for 20 years, no one looks into what's happening at uh, 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 like Bondi di Santi in Italy making super expensive wines. And then someone pops in and they're like, hey, wait a second. That's not what it's supposed to be. And then there's this huge scandal, but it just happens. Whereas like, it's like every day there's someone who drinks old granddad bottled in Bond. And just like peeks in on what's happening at Buffalo Trace just to make sure they're not effing around. That's right. It's like really insane. Yeah. Like a hyper vigilance. Yes. Yes. Oh, and old granddad. Good whiskey. Old granddad is great. I love it. I love the bottle. I love everything about it. I hope it never changes. It's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Something that I love about whiskey too right now, or bourbon right now, is that like there's this, like half of the bottles are all gussied up and pretty and have uh, like cork tops and unusually shaped bottles. And half of them are just doing it the same as it ever was. It's like Evan Williams bottled in bond, old granddad bottled in bond, 
Uh, Ole Weller has that like plastic gold, like weird bottle thing going on with the plastic top. Mm-hmm. And just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's good whiskey. <laughs> not looking to impress anybody here. It's true. It's like, you want to fight someone after this? That's your business. <laughs> like, you know what you like. Well, and there's like that whole thing with mellow corn that like is like the crazy hipster like are going nuts over mellow corn made by Evan Williams, um, sorry, Heaven Hill. Um, and it's 100% corn and people are buying it, like t-shirt like it's so hipster right now all these cocktail bars in louisville are like doing stuff with it in new york city and it's like a bottom shelf 100 percent corn like stuff that no one would have paid any attention to like two <laughs> years ago and now there's people walking around brooklyn with mellow corn t-shirts on and it's like super hot right now they can't even keep it stocked which is like kind of hilarious it's kind of hilarious like what's going and then you've got like and you know it looks the same as it did in the 1940s and then you know you've got poor old grand grandpa joe who goes to the liquor store and can't get hands on it because you know all the hipsters have bought him out i mean mellow corn is basically the whiskey that we that we made 150 years ago before we really learned how to make whiskey they're like ah just put corn done i don't you got know extra corn what? just make whiskey out of it i mean yeah this is what farmers were drinking out of their uh, on their farm oh. while they're mowing the the what, what do they mow wheat what, what do farmers do i don't know, I don't know. they do stuff <laughs> i'm a city kid i really have no idea they're, they're, they they protect their daughters that's right they have shotguns protect their daughters and they have those things tractors and they pull stuff and <laughs> disturbs the earth or something i don't know i don't know no idea but yeah that that whiskey that that's what it, that's what it is it's it, yeah i feel so bad for the old man who's been drinking this shit for like 50 years it's just like why this one why why not barton's or like i don't care why this one go drink dickle like just leave me alone I didn't need it. ten more years. I'll be in my grave. Everything will have been fine. I had to fuck it up. Get this stupid man with a bun and his stupid beard out of here. Uh, cut your hair. Cut your hair. Uh, it's t- that's hilarious. It's true. Oh. That's right. It's not even a consumer he identifies with. It's not like Warren Buffett is suddenly like really into his whiskey. You've got great taste, sir. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. Oh no. All right, guys. Round number three. So this, this is probably the meanest one I've done. This is the meanest one of the night, I think. Because they were both identical whiskeys. Oh, yeah. From the same bottle. From in the same type of glass. Um, the only difference was um, one glass was hanging out for a couple of hours. It was being oxidized. So I poured, uh, I poured them uh, six glasses. Originally, uh, let it air out for about two hours. And the other one was freshly poured. Um, I used, so I used um, Eberfeldy. I'm going to say this yeah, in a Scottish Everfeld. accent. Everfeld. <laughs> I know. That's terrible. I have no idea. Everfeld E12. And I used it because I, I, it's an interesting drink for me. It's, I, I really like the nose. I think the nose is kind of very floral and kind of it's like a very pretty, quote unquote, nose. It's a very interesting, uh, light kind of a nose. Um, and then, but I find the drink kind of like dies on me a little bit on the palate. It's not like, it, it's a, definitely a good whiskey uh, that's, a, that's a sniffer. It's not necessarily one that holds up a lot in the palate. Unless you like a real dry scotch. If you like a dry scotch, I think this is a good good scotch for you um and so for me i was like i wondered like you know after two hours whether the nose would die and it would just what would be left um and so everybody got the same you know uh the the oxidized one and or slightly oxidized i guess and and the non um and uh, i'll just start off with kind of a lot of the comments i heard um 
everybody pretty much said these smell identical. I think the the biggest uh, as a general group was and and you know Jamie Glenn, you're here to kind of you know provide what, what you guys thought, but I just as a group we thought it was they really smelled identical. Um, I think a few people were like, well, oh, that's different, but most for the most part. And then, uh, but then the flavors really just tasting it changed opinions on whether the on the whiskeys a lot. So um, whoever wants to start, go ahead. I think. Uh, what, what your comments Glenn are. has better notes than I do, so I'm going to volunteer him. Well, I've only got better notes. I've got, for this one, uh, I mean, moving to that scotch from the bourbons, I found really difficult. So uh, in my notes, all I've got is uh, nose equals nose. <laughs> and then I've got uh, samesies, question mark. <laughs> And then I've got a quote from Jamie, uh, and I don't have any context here. I don't remember why it was important to take this down, but it's, are we all kind of assholes? <laughs> Trent said, I'm not getting over the cereal. Uh, and uh, Mark said, uh, told us a story about how his now fiance uh, shouldn't be able to teach music if she can't sing. <laughs> Uh, so those are my notes. Uh, oh. Now I, I could not tell these things apart, but I don't think it was because of any skill. I think actually it was the opposite. It was, I couldn't taste. You could have put any scotches in front of me, and I would have had no choice. But no, but, but Glenn, uh, you're, you're being modest because you didn't. Didn't you write once tasted stale? Like one tasted like a stale version of the other, didn't you? Yeah, I said. I said one is stale? Question uh, mark. And then Jamie started all of this. Uh, okay. to confirm it uh, which I appreciated now or I appreciate now You're because so I've, I've got it in my notes but uh, yeah but I I figured it out but I didn't figure it out I figured it out half because of a deduction right like you came into the room and you said explicitly I'm breaking all the rules I'm really going to try and mess with you guys and so like sort of going through like the possible variations and I didn't think that it was someone wanted to have been sitting out for a while. They are just like stale. Okay, maybe. So maybe it's something similar to the Eagle Rare or uh, or something along those lines. But uh, that was that was it. Um, it was weird. The I mean, for me, the exercise on this, and I'm going to be long-winded about this, uh, the exercise on this tasting was more about actually being in a tasting room than anything else. Uh, it's one of those things where you're sat down and you're trained to pick out the differences between two whiskeys. And even if you can't, I think you can imagine that there are, there are, uh, like, I'm not sure that everyone was on the same page. And again, like I was like, samesies with a dunce cap on, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> That's my favorite tasting note I've ever heard. <laughs> Real adult stuff. I mean, this is. Hey, Davin would have just, like, looked over my shoulder and frowned. <laughs> what? Are, are you supposed to be here? <laughs> uh, samesies? <laughs> uh, but so this exercise of going through two whiskeys that were the same and one was slightly more oxidized was interesting. Um, <clears throat> for me, it's... Like, the only thing I could... On the analogy train, the only thing I could think of that was similar to this was... Liz and I went uh, caving in the Dakotas a few years ago, and we went on a tour of Jewel Cave that was lit. Uh, we were all given oil lamps to light the way, 
Uh, and so we were like an hour into this cave and we entered this, I think it's called the chandelier room maybe. Uh, and then the ranger who's with us and it's a group of maybe 15 of us or 10 of us says, uh, all right, now you all need to turn out your lamps. And like, these are fire lamps. So we're all like giving up our fire. There's no switch to turn back on. So we're deep in a cave and the ranger is saying, uh, okay, all the lights are out now. You're an hour into rock basically. Can you see anything? Like wave your hand in front of your face. Can you see it? And everyone's sort of like, oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I can sort of see like like an outline maybe of my hand. And then he tells us, he's like, the brain expects to see this hand. Uh, and it knows where your hand is just in relation to your head. So it creates a memory of your hand in its position that you interpret optically as actually existing. But in reality, there's absolutely no light to create any image. And so it's all imagined. So that's what I experienced at the table. It's like you've got all these people around this table who are like used to looking at their hands and then you turn all the lights out and you have a bunch of people recalling uh, without any intention to mislead and being totally honest what they intend to see and that they can actually see their hand. For me, that was our tasting notes on this. <laughs> Whoa. They, like, I don't think there was any difference. I don't think, uh, I mean, there was notionally, but I think it was people that are used to sitting at a table and really pulling things out. Uh, and I don't have a refined enough palate to be able to tell, uh, and was kind of gassed up at this point too. So, so that was my take. Uh, you, you were pouring a lot into the spit bucket. You were uh, definitely, uh, definitely enjoying every drink. The whiskey was very good. It was. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, I'll, I'll second that. No, uh, I, I, I actually agree with Glenn because I, at this point, again, it was you know the the night sort of took a turn to this place um as it good place it it was a great place as it does and is it it's supposed to like you're not inviting people over to your house to you know um you're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes or like make it so that they feel dumb or have a terrible night like you brought this group of people together for a reason and um yeah i remember (laughs) vaguely um being nervous (laughs) about this one especially because it was a it was not a bourbon and so already i was sort of like oh my god like this is not my like bailiwick so like i'm sort of nervous um i remember that there wasn't a a a lot of like nose on this one in either like in either glass i remember it just being a very like light nose i could be wrong on this um but yeah i i i don't i don't think that there was um I don't remember there being a huge difference between either of them. And I remember enjoying the scotch for like just enjoying it in the moment for what it was. And, and I didn't, I tried not to think too deeply on this one because I, I didn't expect to be able to figure out what had happened to it. So. Yeah, this yeah. was, this was interesting. I think the, the other, uh, the other thing uh, we came up with this is uh, when I first served the drinks, there was a more dramatic change. There were like people like, oh, this is, tastes different. But like within five minutes, as we're talking about the whiskeys, more and more people were like, oh, these kind of taste the same. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Kinda, you're right. Yeah. Like, I think that was interesting, right? Because people were like, it were just like, oh, yeah, these are like, it, it seemed that the, the, it was more dramatic at the first minute. And then by the fifth minute, there was less and less. Uh, apparent differences between these two drinks. Um, you know, in, in my mind, I, I, I thought the nose was almost identical. I thought the um, I thought the fresher twelve was a little, little brighter. I but 
I, I think if I if I had these two blind, I, I don't know if I I think I'd think they're the same drink. I don't think I'd uh, I, I don't think I could really tell them apart. And I was a little disappointed by this because I, I figured if I faced a peaty or scotch, the difference would be more dramatic. I thought this one would be a little different. I did some tests and different whiskeys, um, but I don't I don't think this one was dramatic enough. But um, but it's also a good test group because you know. A lot of people were saying different things, and it was interesting to see how they responded to this one. Uh, but yeah, this was round three, so this is like six drinks in, um, and uh, yeah, people were pretty pretty happy at this point. Yeah, same as Now we'll note again that there there was a spit bucket available for those who chose to use it. <laughs> it was a very responsible tasting. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> round number four was not a trick, but it was interesting. So round number four had. Um, Maker's Mark 46 versus Woodford Reserve versus Elijah Craig 12. I've got virtually no notes on this. Uh, other than this weird thing that we had going on with Woodford and everyone at the table uh, pulled this like uh, banana, artificial banana flavored antibiotic sort of thing going on in the Woodford that you poured. And it's sort of... Yeah, what happened there? Totally. I, what did happen there? I came back... And uh, I cracked my bottle a, a few days later uh, and searched out the banana, and it was definitely present in mine. I think it it's either batch to batch or it's just readily present in Woodford Reserve. I just got a bottle of Woodford Reserve. I should go take a sniff and see oh, what's go going for on. It. Go Hold for it. Hold on. Okay, I'll be right back. Yeah, the other thing that was crazy with the Woodford in doing that that bit of research was trying to figure out batch numbers because I have a mini bottle for whatever reason. Like I think I bought it to put in a jacket pocket because I'm an adult and wanted to sneak in some bourbon uh, to an event course, for some reason because I'm an adult. <laughs> uh, and it was on batch 11. And I think that every other batch that's going on is in the thousands. So it's like no one ever buys these small bottles of bourbon. Uh and they've been hanging around for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the numbering system is very, very odd on these. Um, and this one was so. The best way to describe it is those. Um, if you go to like a grocery store, they have those banana chips where they're like dried out chips, um, and you, you know, they're kind of. I think they're they're coated in sugar. They're just dried and and and, and, and sugar. They're 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 hard to bite. Um, and it just, that flavor really came through. And in a lot of ways, um, I had a couple of others. So I'm like, this is weird. Cause I, it wasn't a pleasant taste. It was, it was a bit unpleasant. At least for me, it was, I think for, for people at tables as well. And, and I've had a word for a couple times since then from different batches. And I can't get over that flavor profile. That's so predominant on, on the Woodford reserve. Mine has it too. So is that why? Really? Yeah. So is this why it's the most hated whiskey on the internet? I, it might be. It's it's not the whiskey I remember it being years ago. Like I mean, Woodford Reserve isn't one of those whiskeys I drink, you know, regularly, regularly. So I, I probably haven't had it for a year. Um, and I really like their uh, their 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 special masters collection, this and that. But I don't know. Like the one that I had uh, since the, the one that I have at home is particularly very appley. Uh, very sorry, banana. It's very very banana y. That dried banana um candied banana um it's super strong but the other ones i've had have not been as they've been oak here so they've been aged for longer they you can tell that this is these are like sl slightly older batches of whiskey uh, but that flavor is still there and i don't know where it's coming from i really don't what do you have your bottle handy mark what batch are you, what batch you have uh one sec okay. mine i think was batch 11 what 
I know. What do you mean batch eleven? That sounds wrong. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confirm. <laughs> I'm gonna confirm. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how. So this is batch number one eighty-eight, bottle number fifteen fifty-eight. All right. Well, I have batch number uh, one eighty-seven, um, bottle number thirty-five twenty-seven. What's the little number on the? It's a big number on the bottom right corner. There's like a one zero zero number there. What's uh, that? One zero zero two eight four zero two. Okay. Yeah, what? I don't know. Where is that little number? Uh, it's on the bottom right corner, but beneath the. Uh, alcohol proof yeah I, I i don't know i don't know what to make of this i really don't i think it's 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 almost unpleasant doesn't really taste like bourbon it's uh um i think it's always been there but i think the um i think that the you know woodford reserve is really known for having more oakier notes um and being you know that you want that forward wood and i find because I, I had batch number 186 just yesterday uh, at a friend's house, and that one said had the same profile, but it was definitely an older whiskey. So there we go. We just have to, we just cover three batches, and Glenn's you know pocket size for reserve. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. And Glenn, is this the most hated whiskey on the internet? People shit on Brown Foreman all the time, and I'm not entirely clear why, but they definitely do more than everybody else. It's so funny. I had never ever. Ever. And I've always liked Woodford Reserve. I've always found that just, you know, having a bottle of it is great because it's, you could sip it or you could put it in a cocktail. Like, I've always been a, a fan of Woodford. Um, and now I now I can't get over the banana. Yeah. I can't. I can't I, you can't untaste I it. I can't untaste it. And so now I wonder, so I sort of had moved away from Basil Hayden a little while ago because I, it's light and I, I like it I know it's a good whiskey it's just not sort of in my palate anymore and, and you know I would always recommend it for somebody who's just starting out in bourbon but I just wouldn't reach for a bottle anymore and I, I'm sort of feeling like maybe Woodford is going to be the next one. Yeah I, I don't know it, it, it's stuck in my brain now I feel like it's just stuck and I, I don't know how to unstuck it um, <laughs> stick it. Um, Makers Mark 46 and Elijah Craig so I didn't take too many notes in this round. Um, I think both were <laughs> very, <laughs> both were enjoyed. I think everybody kind of, ev- everybody thought Woodford Reserve tasted strange. I think that was a uh, universal. Everybody was like, I don't know, this looks doesn't really taste right. Um, Makers Mark Forty Six and Elijah Craig uh, were both pretty good. I think um, um, Glenn was great. Uh, I, I did I did make a note. Uh, one thing Glenn said. Uh, when he's drinking the Elijah Craig from Heaven Hill, and he's like, and I told everybody these are bourbons. I, I, the one thing I said, these are just bourbons. There's no tricks here. These are just all bourbons, and I'm just curious what you like. And Glenn's like, I don't know. This does taste like Will It Rye to me. This is Will It Rye. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, Glenn, no, really, they're all bourbons. Um, but uh, there is, you know, it's believed that a lot of Will It Rye's do come from Heaven Hill, which is where Elijah Craig is made. Um, and that distillery has that little bit of that burnt sugar. And I don't know. I think Glenn was picking up on that burnt sugar. I'm going to give you the benefit of that, Glenn. I'm going to be like, you were drinking Elijah Craig, and you're like, this is the Heaven Hill distillery. It must be. And you well associate done. that with Willet because that's you know where you would mostly drink uh, their stuff. For me, this was like like the tasting notes that we got from the Aberfeldy open for two hours. It's like Glenn, having been soaked in bourbon for the last two hours, has shifted his statements from, I think this might be like a Willet or like there's a high rye component to it, to like, no, I don't care. That's Willet Rye. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Mark's like, oh, no, no, think, work on that. Think that. Flush that out. <laughs> now, 
That's it. <laughs> Fuck this guy. It's definitely Willie. Next. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, that was about right. Everyone's uh, opinion started getting really like serious. It was like a few good men in there. <laughs> Do you have any notes from this point on, Jamie? No, absolutely I don't. I don't have anything. I, any I, memory? Any memory? Do you remember anything? I do. I do. Okay. Um, the, I remember, like, panicking because I thought at this point I should know. I should be able to, like, pick them out. Uh, I knew that be, I knew that you were going to pour Makers 46 and uh, because you had mentioned it, um, that you had, had sort of had this bottle. And I was like, I bet he's going to pour it during the tasting and hadn't come out yet. So I had an inkling that one of those was going to be Makers 46. Um, I really liked the Makers 46. And I always loved that Elijah Craig. Always. I loved that one. And I got that burnt sugar on it, too. Um, but, like, I mean, that is one of my favorite sort of, like, to always have in the cabinet is that Elijah Craig. Like, I love it. I love it. And that's what I really remember from that point on like just what I liked and what I didn't like there's not it doesn't go much deeper than that sort mm-hmm. of by the end of the night well, so it's interesting oh sorry go no I was gonna say well for most of it like I'm still so new again like I do this but I don't it, I my palate is not extremely refined yet so it's still so much of it is what did I like what didn't I like what was weird what wasn't weird what would I buy again what you know sort of made me think and that's kind of what my notes are like in my head the ones in my phone were out of control like that's why i probably deleted it because i was like that's not a word that's <laughs> it's not even a word it's not a word this is an interesting one for me because i i like um i think a lot of these these three for me are three bourbons i used to enjoy a lot more than i do today and it's not because they're any less tasty um although well the woodford reserve was a bit of a surprise but um, but I think that a lot of whiskeys in these categories are getting better. I mean, Elijah Craig 12 is a good example. I think it's a really like great, it, it tastes like a 12 year old bourbon. This is like, boom, this boom. If you want to introduce somebody to aged bourbons, this is great. And it continues to be very good whiskey, but then you compare it to, um, other whiskeys in that same age category, um, a lot of bourbons and you're like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I like this as much. Um, because for me, I'm like, how do how do you shape a whiskey cabinet? What do you want to have in the whiskey cabinet? What's our what are more essential than others? And 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 please feel free to disagree with me 100. Uh, percent For me, these uh, these three are um, really good whiskeys. They're becoming less essential in my whiskey cabinet as I take interest in other bourbons. Just strictly speaking of, of the bourbon category, you know, not not others per se, but just strictly speaking as a bourbon category. Um, I've always had Elijah Craig, and I just haven't been reaching for it as often. Uh, Maker's Mark 46, same thing. Um, and Woodford Reserve, I haven't had for a little while, and I was curious about it because we were talking about the show and, and, and that. So that, that's where these three, for me, it was a very personal round of tasting of like, what, what, pe- what do people think about these three? I can stand behind Elijah Craig bourbon on any day. I really, I, I find it has a super powerful, full, like amazing structure um, I just from and you know what it's funny I say that because I actually haven't had it in the house for a little while but um, I've always just from my own memory have just really enjoyed it because it's it's kind of a punch in the face um, which I really like when it comes to <laughs> bourbon so um, I, I sort of it's an important quality yeah I like my bourbon to punch me in the face um, but it's true it's got that like 
that zing that I like that it gives me that like that lip thing I don't know if you guys get the lip thing that I get when I drink um like sort of spicy bourbons I find that like my the inside of my lips like buzz I love that it's like one of my favorite things and I find I sort of get that pretty quickly from it and I I'm just a big fan of it so um but I I mean maybe the way so it it's just like certain things will come in and out like certain whiskeys like basil hayden is sort of on its way out for me and maybe woodford or whatever and certain things will come in and maybe i'll find my way back to basil hayden one day i don't know you you never know what's gonna sort of it's so it fluctuates so much what your what your palate set i think you hit on i mean for me i don't buy any of these uh not for any misdoing of theirs of the product itself, but just because I'm familiar with it. So it's been in the, in our market for a long time and there are new whiskeys that are showing up on a regular basis. Because of that, I'm more curious about what's new or what I can't get on a regular basis as opposed to Knob Creek is always sitting there uh, and Basil Hayden's is sitting there and they're fine whiskeys, but I generally deviate to uh, things that I know I'm going to have a hard time getting in the future or things that have been in Ontario for a little less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I think um, Elijah Craig is a great price price point for a twelve year old whiskey. I don't think they get you get a lot of options in, at that price point um, anymore. Um, I do think you know, and so I, I can only compare it to more expensive whiskeys that are older. So I can compare it to you know, um, well, like not necessarily older, older, but like a like a Booker's, uh, like a Stag Junior, which are which are more expensive, which are not not you know, once you get price point involved in this, it's a less of a less of a discussion, but just. Like to me, that's the new forward flavor whiskey, and Elijah Craig. I don't know. It's it's more of a tickle now. It just tastes more like a tickle. I don't know. Less of a punch. A tickle. Less of a punch in the face. More of a tickle. <laughs> and in all very fairness, I haven't had Elijah Craig very much lately, except for you know that one night. But I mean, for us in Ontario, it's really hard to get a handle on like a Stag Junior or. Um, you know some of those new ones that are coming in i think it's great that we we're finally getting them in ontario it's just they're coming in such like little sort of bits and pieces it's almost anxiety inducing i find (laughs) that we get it's like you get this email or like somebody tweets something and then you like have this like full-on panic attack that you're gonna miss like Weller or you're going to miss Booker's or like you're you have to rush out and like get it or else you're you're like SOL till the next release and that is terrible but I understand well what's better though I mean so we've got our lottery system for rare bottles and then just hustling to the LCBOs that happen to have the whiskeys we're looking for uh but in the U.S. you need to take like a significant amount of capital and constantly invested into a relationship with your local guy and uh in order to get the whiskeys that you want because yeah. he'll keep them or she'll keep them aside for yeah. you otherwise you're so well yeah. exactly and i i really learned that when i was in new york and i was talking to that guy i had a moment where i told him i was like you know uh, in canada this elmer t lee is like 56 bucks or something like that and you're charging $275 to $325 for a bottle of it. Um, maybe something's not so very wrong with that system. It, I paid $150 for a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle 15 from our liquor store. Yeah. They're going for $3,000 at like liquor stores in the States. What? Yes. 
Yes. Wow. And this guy was like, don't open that Pappy Van Winkle. And I was like, too late, friend. <laughs> Listen, sir. <laughs> exactly. That's so exactly. Bad. But yeah. So, I, I, it, so, so occasionally us as consumers benefit from socialism is what you're saying. Occasionally. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put my neck out there and say, you know, uh, I would never be able to afford the bourbon collection that I have if I was buying it in the States. And, you know, I, unless maybe I was in Kentucky and I had a guy and I, you know, it, but that takes a long time to get sort of that, you know, relationship with your local liquor store guy to the point where they call you when a shipment comes in, but then they also expect you to buy a case worth or else you're yeah. probably going to, you're going to call the other guy who always buys a case from you instead of, you know, little old me who buys one bottle and then runs away and, you know, prays for the next release. So uh, it works in our favor some of the time. We definitely don't have the selection, but I would rather pay 54. Well, obviously I'd rather pay $54 and $325, but that's, yeah. 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 It's cool. I think in an ideal world, if you're going to exist with this system, I think that Pennsylvania has roughly the same system that we do here. Mm. Uh, and so every, it's either week or month, uh, a price adjustment list and a list of new bourbons that are coming in is posted on a lot of the forums. And so people that either, that live near to Pennsylvania will just drive in and grab bottles and then come back out um, and, and try and benefit from it. Whereas, I mean, for us, we have to go across the border for 48 hours to bring anything back. Which is a pain. We can't just slip over. Right. Yeah, that that's the worst part. I mean, free, yeah. free trade really screwed us in that. <sighs> Buffalo. Uh, I know. Damn. Um, guys, any other comments about the tasting? Any final thoughts? Well, I mean, thank you. It was awesome tasting. I had so much fun, and you, <laughs> I can't help but think that you wish we could we could have got a little bit more out of it, except for some of those tasting notes by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I promise, I did take a lot out of it. It was great. It was such a fun tasting. And plus, we got to go in a in a, in a dive bar nearby, that drink awesome. beer, and, and have spontaneous karaoke. So, so at the end of the night, I don't know. Well. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have oh, videos. Was, I have no video. <laughs> no, uh, no. I went to the I went to the oh. to the bar immediately with uh, one of the people that was at the tasting, uh, Jen Chan, or at Food Prawn, and uh, we ordered off the menu and just super drunk eating drunk food just soaked this stuff up like it was the finest meals that had ever been created at El Bui. like it was just <laughs> insane i was eating chicken fingers and like my eyes were rolling into the back of my head it was like ah uh, were you that was... drunk i don't re recall you being that drunk i don't think i was like whoa whoa glenford is drunk maybe i was that drunk that i didn't even i don't know i Really? You were that drunk? You didn't seem that drunk. Yeah, I'm good at that. Hey, <laughs> I think pretty good. Uh, I did not but, feel good the next day, guys. Oh, I felt terrible. It was it was miserable. Actually, it's funny because up until now I hadn't thanked Mark for the tasting. Uh, <laughs> and like, so so thanks for that. I mean, that was really thoughtful and amazing. And not only just like letting us into your stash of like really incredible liquor, but um, but to curate that experience is really neat. Uh, but whenever I drink whiskey or involved with whiskey, I end up just giving you shit, Mark. Like <laughs> on Friday, I had like a big week. I was very tired. I went to the liquor store and looked at a very expensive bottle of scotch, and so I just pulled Mark up on on Google and was just like, "Hey, man, like, should I buy this bottle of Ardbeg 
will I regret this? And Mark gives me this cheery, like, uh, like three or four lines of like, it's great, nice and peaty. If you have a cold, it's really excellent. Cool mornings is awesome. And all he gets back from me is five minutes later after I've left the cash and I'm back in my car before I leave the parking lot is all caps. You're a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Glenn, are we going to be uh, listening to a new podcast from you anytime soon? I, yeah, eventually. Uh, lawyers are hard to pin down. Oh, so they didn't have no, a little I bit. Gonna record, you didn't record today? Uh, I meant to record last Thursday and... Lawyers are the worst, first of all, as you experienced last Thursday as well. I think that's when we initially scheduled to do this. Yeah. But in the evening, I had planned on doing uh, my demo or my pilot for uh, what's going to be essentially a food and law podcast. So we're doing a few pilots. The first person is a uh, member of the Toronto Food Policy Council, and she had a food law practice, and now she does workplace investigations. And we're going to talk about uh, two things. There's all kinds of drama right now in Toronto. Uh, someone has lodged a workplace complaint after being straight up harassed for two years as a, maybe a sous chef or a pastry chef at a prominent restaurant in Toronto uh, on the basis of gender. And it's open to discussion about how toxic, from a gender perspective, many restaurant cultures can be or how the hospitality culture is. Uh, and also sort of talk about what workplace investigations look like uh, in the like post-Giangomeshi era, where... Uh, people are starting to think about what their rights are and that they actually have recourse about dealing with shitty stuff at work all the time. Uh, so stay tuned. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's coming down the pipe. And then the next fellow is, uh, he's a lawyer in Vancouver uh, who I went to school with and he has a practice that's focused on alcohol. And in Vancouver or in British Columbia, they're going through a total renewal of their liquor laws. Mm from i think the the tightest in canada to something that's different and i think maybe more like ontario minus the weird beer stuff hmm. uh but uh but yeah so we're going to talk about that and uh and some trends in cocktails and in uh brewing and and that sort of thing so stay tuned Sounds thanks. awesome but uh there we go well thanks so much guys for having me on thank you thank you thanks thanks everybody oh we're so polite whiskey, whiskey. The sick is getting sore.